you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead, open them up to the uh, letter of James. Uh, make your way to the last third of your Bible, and James is somewhere about in the middle of that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand. Uh, we will uh, gladly run one to you. Uh, I, I should start by thanking Swine for uh, filling in for me last week. Um, who knew uh, that going to the DMV could be so entertaining, right? Uh, I was listening to it, but what I love more about uh, what he, he told me uh, Sunday night, he's like, I'm afraid that all everybody heard was the story about me going to the DMV. Uh, but as I listened to it, that's what I remember. Uh, but I also remember him walking through First Peter, a uh, little section of that, talking about how we get to live in this journey. And so I, I'm thankful uh, for him. Uh, he didn't send me any text the way I sent him uh, last Saturday night. Uh, but which is why I probably won't cry like he did, big baby. Uh, and so, uh, but we are, I am, I am really excited about today. I've been chomping at the bit for a couple months now, actually. Uh, one of my favorite things to do on Sunday mornings is to get to walk, open up the Bible together uh, and just simply color commentate, uh, point out some things, kind of kind of draw our focus to certain areas of, of what God's Word is saying and uh, and, and the reason we do it this way is because what we want is the Word of God to read our lives. Uh, and where our lives differ, we want to make the adjustment. Uh, and then when our lives are centered in the Word, uh, we want to celebrate God's goodness and the fact that that wasn't our own ability, wasn't our own strength that we would walk with God, uh, but that He loves us so much that we would be able to celebrate who we are uh, in Christ and and for this reason, uh, we, we walk through entire books of the Bible together. And that's why today is so exciting for me, because we get to open up uh, the book of James. And, and James, he's writing this letter to uh, the early Christians, and I love what he has to say in these five chapters. In fact, it'll take us uh, a good portion of September, October into uh, November to kind of work, work our way uh, through these words. But what he does here is he gives us some very practical counsel for how we grow in our faith uh, with Jesus and how we best put the love of God uh, in display, on display. And now as I say that, uh, I, I warn you, uh, because there's going to be parts in James that you say, well, I'd rather not do it that way. Uh, and James will say, I understand, uh, but you're still wrong. And, and so what we want to do is come into these chapters and we want to open our hearts to God and say, okay, help me live in the healthiest, best life that you have prepared for me. Uh, and walking through James is going to be, um, I think, both valuable and, and life-changing. And so let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we come to you and we are very thankful this morning for your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, when you press our hearts, you don't just press our feelings, but that you engage our mind and you engage um, our emotion and uh, that, that you are moving us for the glory of your name. And we pray this morning as we get to open up chapter 1 of James that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak. He is, in, he is a welcomed uh, party into this conversation. And I pray that we would be able to leave this day knowing that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, Corbett, would you mind just turning the fans off? Um, I don't know if that bothered you, but it bothered me. 
uh, and I get stuff done. And so, all right, so as we get started, let me, let me, let me start this way. Uh, I want to be sure that I give credit where uh, credit is due and, and where, uh, when it comes to my understanding of how these verses work together, there was uh, one uh, inspirational voice or instructional voice uh, in these passages, and it was the pastor, Matt Chandler. He pastors out in uh, the Flower Mound area. You just gave me a, yeah, like, I know that guy. I've heard of him. Um, uh, but but the way he put this passage uh, set of verses together was really helpful to me. Uh, and so there's parts today that I'm just ripping straight off of him. Uh, and so I just want to make you aware of that to lower your expectations on any brilliance that I bring to the table, uh, which will be minimal at best. And so uh, let's let's get through verse one real quickly because verses two through eighteen have a lot to go. Uh, so Luke, you can bring up verse one. It's simply this introduction. It says this, James, okay, uh, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can just stop right there because James uh, says, hey, I'm a servant of God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now what we don't, what he doesn't do here, though, is name drop, uh, which would be really easy for this guy to do uh, because he's also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I would think, you know, that you're like, hey, I'm related to that guy, right? Have you ever have you ever said that you knew a friend of a friend of a friend that knows someone important, right? Okay, so so James could very easily walk into this scene and say, hey, uh, my name's James. Uh, I'm a servant of God and Jesus. Oh, and he's my half-brother. Uh, now, here's what you need to know about James. Uh, when Jesus was walking, uh, doing his ministry in those three years, uh, as we walk through the Gospels, we get to see it. Uh, James at times thinks Jesus is crazy. Now, I think we can afford him some some ground on, you know, when your half-brother's walking around telling people, hey, I'm the son of God, you know, you're like, eh, maybe we dis- distance a little bit from that, right? But all of a sudden, Jesus begins to do the things that he said he would do. All of a sudden, Jesus dies, and he says, hey, I'm coming back in three days. And he does that. Then he walks with his people then he ascends to heaven. And somewhere after in this time, James comes to a realization, to an understanding that his half-brother literally was the Son of God, literally is the Son of God. And so he becomes a believer. And then he becomes an elder in the Jerusalem church as they begin to, to understand uh, Christianity. And he becomes a pivotal player. In fact, so much that as he writes this letter, we are reading it today. All right. So he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Okay. So at this time, the gospel is spreading, which is what Jesus said would happen. Right. He said, as I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then your command, my command to you is that you would preach the gospel, that you would baptize people. You would remind them what I'm teaching them. And at this time, the gospel is spreading, and it starts in neighborhoods, and then it goes to cities, and then it goes out. And, and it's the, the beautiful thing that the gospel is supposed to do. It is going out. And then there's some people who are spreading the gospel because of their great love for Jesus. And then there's some people who are on the run uh, because there's oppression and persecution for the early Christian church. And so now they've been dispersed. And so James is writing this letter to this, the dispersion, the believers who 
are now walking in Christ. And he's going to teach us some very practical things. And then he says these words. He says, greetings. All right, now, fair warning. Um, if you were hoping he would warm you up, uh, if you were hoping that James would come in and be like, hey, what's up? Not much here, right? Which is what we always did when we were writing letters in school. You know, what's up with you? Not much. And then we make the arrows. Anybody do the arrow thing? What's up? No, no, okay, just me, all right. I wrote letters to myself because nobody wrote me a letter. Um, but but if, if you're looking for him to kind of ease you into what he has to say today, there is none. That was it. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings, all right? And now we get into verse 2, and we're just going to kind of, we're going to read it as an overview, and then we're going to kind of come back through. He says this, Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the, there, nope, almost. It's the next bar. There we go. We found it. All right. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. Verse 12. Oh, I'm sorry. So also the rich man uh, fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person, pay attention, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits with all creatures. I'm sorry, first fruit of his uh, creatures. Uh, so, so okay, if we, if we took 17 verses, which we did, all right, and that's a lot, right? Especially as he's coming into, he's like, hey, let's talk about some things. Let's talk about trials. Let's talk about temptations. Let's talk about your sin. Again, there's no warm-up to it. He just says, hey, we're going to deal with these things. Uh, but if we took these 17 verses and we tried to boil them down into a singular thought, it, w- it would merely be this sentence. That, that there will be hard moments in your life. Consider them with joy because God cares for you. There will be hard moments in your life. Consider them with joy uh, because God cares for you. And now, here's what I don't want. I don't want you to just take my word for this. I want, I want us to unpack it as we draw closer 
to the heart of the Father. And I think a fitting place to begin here as we talk about trials uh, is the fact that James doesn't say if you get to a trial in life, uh, but he says when. Right? Uh, when you face trials of, of various kinds. And so that begs the question, well, what does he mean by various kinds, right? Uh, is, uh, what does that mean? Is, is he talking about when, when my marriage is difficult? Yes. Uh, is he talking about um, when I am sick? Yes. Is he talking about when your kid is acting a fool? Yes. Is he talking about when the Cowboys aren't winning their game? No. That is not a trial. Your internet being out is not a trial. You don't have to take that to God. That's just an inconvenience, all right? Now, part of us, part of who we are needs to grow up in some of those areas. Uh, because what we would consider trials are really just inconveniences, which is a different thing for another day, right? And so, so when... So what I love, though, is, is the scope that he gives us. He says uh, various... <laughs> trials and so we eventually find ourselves um if you're not in a trial right now you will find yourself in one and uh and for those people um i think these words can be very helpful because uh if if you are in it now you know what i'm talking about because trials are awful <laughs> right you you are exhausted you are weary you are limping you're hoping uh, to hear something this morning that would be more cheery for you. Uh, and my lesson is um, trials are going to come, so consider it with joy. Which leads you to consider the fact that he didn't use the word trial. He added an S at the end of it. Right? So he says trials, uh, and for you English people, that's, that's plural, meaning multiples. Right, and so as we walk with God, here's what here's what this means: is that that all of a sudden, if you go through one trial and you get through it, that you say, "Done that trial thing. Rest of my life is going to be easy street." Right? No, James says multiple. He says we're going to have these moments in our lives where where things are hard, and you're going to fight, and you're going to get through it, and you're going to be thankful that you're through it, and you're going to look back on it, and you're going to realize I don't want to ever get there again. And sometimes God will say. You don't have to because I have another one ahead. And it's going to be different. And you're going to look back on this previous trial and you're going to say, oh, because I made it through that one, I'm stronger for this one. Okay? We're, we're going to get there. Okay? Some of you are looking at me like, well, I thought this was going to be funner today. Um, but it will not be. All right? That's not the way life happens. We, we have mountaintops, we have valleys. We have mountaintops, we have valleys. And, and Jesus has, uh, we, we, we live somewhere in between this, this space between. That, that Jesus has ushered in the coming of his kingdom, but we eagerly wait for the consummation of his kingdom. Uh, and so, so we get sick. We, we are betrayed. We are falsely accused. We get tired. People we love, they die. We face trials, but that's not the full command that James gives us, right? He doesn't just say, hey, consider, you know, hey, you're going to face trials. He gives us a posture. And he says, the posture that you take as you deal with trials is that you would experience them in joy. To which the person in the trial today says, what? what? How, how's that even possible? Because this hurts. Right? If you ever walked through a trial, you know, this is, 
I don't know how to find joy in those moments. And this is where I want to unpack two ways to be uh, that we can view trials. And this isn't just wishful thinking. This is biblical instruction. Okay, James is going to give us two ways to view trials if you are indeed found uh, in Christ. And then out of that, we're going to reveal two fights we need to know that we're on. Uh, because if you know that you're, in, you're going to be in a fight, you're better able to prepare yourself for it, right? Um, it, it's the fights that you didn't know when you get punched in the face that, oh, wasn't ready for that. But if you know a fight's coming, you can brace yourself, you can anticipate, okay? And so James is going to give us two lenses that we need to be thinking through as we think through trials, and then secondly, he's going to tell us about two fights that will come along as we are facing these trials. And so let's, let's talk about how we rightly think about uh, these trials. And the first one is simply this. Uh, and Luke, we can put it in our talk notes, that, that trials, okay, two ways to think about trials as a believer, that trials are a pathway to maturity. They're a pathway to maturity. And just look at verse 3 all right, in your Bibles. Uh, verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces. Alright? So now there's a reason for why these things are happening. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, the ability to stand strong. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is helpful to us. Because have you ever been in the midst of the trial and you say, why is this happening to me? Now we have a purpose. James says it's producing something in you. It's producing strength in you and let's, let's let's take this out of our spiritual world just for a moment and let's place it into life experience and ask yourself how have you matured the most in your life is it possible that you i know this is for me um that that i have matured most by stumbling by by falling by growing slow that that growth into maturity for me, physically, intellectually, emotionally, uh, has come be- not because everything has been easy, not because all the lights are green and the street is just open to me. No, I, I've grown most in my life because I have fallen and I've scraped my knees and, and I've learned to get up from those experiences. And, and you learn by thinking um, you're right only to realize that you were wrong. Ever Anybody ever done that? <laughs> That's how, that's how we mature. And so, so do we really believe that if that's the way we grow in life experience, that, that our spiritual walk would be completely different, right? As if God just sprinkles us with this pixie dust and we just fly and, and that's it? No, it's not, that's not the way it works. And, and then now I know some of us are desperate for that kind of growth, right? God, take this temptation away. God's... God, rectify this drama that I am in. God, move those people away from me. That's not the way it works. There's, there's this great sermon uh, taught by, by A.W. Tozer. And it's called, The Miracles Follow the Plow. Uh, I just want to read you an excerpt from it. because it's, it's, just, it's hard, but it's beautiful. He says this. He says, The unplanted field is smug. That's so smug, right? Like just walking like this. All right? Contented, protected from the shock of the plow. 
and the agitation of being broken up. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes familiar, a familiar landmark to the crow and to the blue jay. It's safe. It's undisturbed. It sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. And for some of us, we see that image and we're like, yes, that's a beautiful field. That's what I want with my life. I like the idea of sleepy contentment. Because uh, in your mind, you're like, oh, that's all warm underneath your blanket, but it's cold outside. And you're like, that's the life. That's what I want in my life. But he continues. He says, but it's, that field is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Because never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, not the beauty of ripening grain, Fruit it can never know because it's afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventures of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change, and it has been upset, turned over, bruised, broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shouts up into the daylight its miracles of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, to mature, to consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it first entered the ground. That, that it's, it's the plow that shows you that. It's the trial that shows you that. It's not pixie dust. It's the plow. And, and as anxious as we are about the wave that some of us have been crashed upon us, and some of us hear a verse like this and we say, I'm not in a trial now, but I will be, apparently. These verses allow us to brace and serve as a buffer when we experience those blows. So, so, so the path, the, the, the trial is this path to maturity, but that's not the only lens. All right? For that, we, we go to verse number 5 uh, when, when uh, James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously... To who? All. Oh, okay, so that's, that's a big word. It's a big three-letter word. All without reproach. And it will be given Him. And so this is the piece that has to be there. The first piece is that as I endure trial, I am on the path to being matured by God. But then secondly, this is what trials teach us. Uh, Luke, if you don't mind. That trials help me be aware of my need for God. Okay? And now, this is, this is the issue that I, I face, um, I think, too frequently when it comes to walking with people through difficult moments of their lives. Is they get mad at God because things are hard, and so they walk away from Him. When what James is about to teach us is that in those trials, our awareness of God needs to heighten and our proximity to God, not that He ever walks away from us, but that we would walk closer and closer into Him, becomes more and more important. 
And so, so here, here's something I know. At least, I, again, I hope this about you because I know this about me. Uh, and I don't want me to be the worst. Okay? So, so my, my bet is that when everything is going great in your life, uh, everything is the way that you want it, uh, that you don't have the same intensity in pressing towards the heart of God as when trials are happening. Like in the heart, in, in the difficult moments of my life, that's when I find myself talking to God the most. Sometimes in bell, hey, I need a bell out here. And sometimes in it, hey, I just need to understand what's going on. And sometimes, hey, I just need a peace to know that all this is working itself out for the glory of your name. Because right now, I I don't see it. I don't I don't see it. And so so if everything goes right, you, what happens is is you did that right. You you get to take credit for that. But if everything goes wrong, then all of a sudden it's God who did it, uh, and it's not fair. And James has given us instructions on these days when when everything's not okay. He, he He's talking about days of trial and that, that we're, we're trying to walk and we're trying to consider all things joy in this trial that we're in. And so, so he says, let us ask for wisdom. And then he says, the Lord will, will respond. That when you ask God for wisdom about what he's doing, he, he will resta- respond. And so I need to be aware of the movement of God for these moments of tension in my life. That when life is hard, I need to ask, what is God doing here? Where is He moving? What is the purpose for that? And James just says, ask Him about it. He says, when you don't know, ask Him for that wisdom, which is going to lead us to, to, to the two fights, okay? So, so we have our lenses on, right? We're believers in Christ. We're enduring a trial. We're going, okay, I don't quite fully understand it, but here's the deal. I know God is maturing me, or at least I believe it this morning. Right? I know God is maturing me. I know He's chiseling me. He's, he's shaping me. He's forming me more and more and more into the image of His Son, which is His promise to you, by the way. I know I'm praying more. I know I'm clinging to Him more. I'm getting what I really need. Now, maybe not what I really want, but what I need. Again, that's an area of growth for a lot of us. Then then the fights come. He says this, verse verse 6. Take us us there, my friend. Thank you. But let him ask in faith. So what does he ask us to do first? He says, ask for wisdom. God's going to give them, but let them ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so, so the first fight that shows up is the fight of doubt. That when we're in trials... The first fight that shows up is, is the fight of doubt. And now, granted, what we just read, those are harsh words, right? Because uh, God says, you're confused? Great, ask me about it, but don't doubt. Because if you do, you shouldn't expect anything from me. And so, so what are we supposed to do with that? Right? Uh, so, so let's try this one on. Um, th- there are two prayers in this little text. Uh, the first one is, is grant me wisdom. Uh, the second one, increase my faith, kill my doubts. 
right? God, increase my wisdom. Help me understand. But then secondly, let me have a faith that causes my trust to be in you, not in the circumstance. And so this, this reminds me of this scene in, in Mark chapter 9. I'm just going to kind of read it to you. Um, and they brought this boy to Jesus. Uh, and when the spirit, which was a demon, saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about and he was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? And the father said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire uh, and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Okay, so, so he does what the Christian thing is supposed to do, right? He takes this problem to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything about this, please save my boy. Rescue my boy. And listen to Jesus. He says, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. Now, that's a, that's a verse that gets misused for our own selfish gain all the time. But again, different lesson another day. We'll get there eventually. And immediately, verse 24 of, that, of uh, Mark chapter 9, it says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said these words, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Is there anybody here that can say amen to that? Because I can. Yeah. I believe, help my unbelief. I, I believe you're good. I believe you're God. I believe you have this. But help me because part of me doesn't. Help me. I'm having lunch with a person on Tuesday. That's what my iPad just told me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so the question is simply this. Is the Father's belief strong enough for the result that He's asking God to do? Right? Because James says, when you ask for wisdom, ask without doubting. Because if you doubt, you're not getting it, right? And that seems like a really hard line in the sand. So how can we marry this thought of, I believe, help my unbelief. How can we do that? And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Okay? Which, by the, by the way, this is what Jesus does. All right? He sets people free. And after crying out, convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most people said, oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And so, so here, here's the good news. That place where we're fighting doubt, and we're like, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I'm struggling to hang on to that belief. God steps into that space, and that faith is... is, is it's like a mustard seed of faith. That out of that, God grows something incredibly powerful for your benefit and for His glory. For your benefit, for His glory. That the double-minded man is simply the kind of guy that says, you know, I, I'm going to say I'm asking, but I don't really think He's going to respond. So I'm going to do things that make it look like I'm asking for wisdom. I'm going to sit in prayer circles 
And as we pray about that, I'm really going to do my grocery list. I'm going to allow my emotions and my mind to go elsewhere because deep in me, I don't think God is going to respond. And what James says is, if that's your mentality, then don't expect God to really respond. Because God doesn't need that kind of lip service. So when life, when, when you are in a trial, understand that that fight that's coming is doubt. Are you good? Are you here? Will you help? And I love what James told us. He says, let us ask for wisdom. And let us ask in faith. Because God will give it to you. Without reproach. But he does it because He loves you. And so here's the second. First, first fight is doubt. Um, and then the second fight is, is comparison. Uh, verses 9 through 12. So he puts it this way uh, in verse 9. Luke, here we go. And let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he's going to pass away. Right? That's a warm, fuzzy feeling for today, right? We're all going to die one day. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. Uh, verse 11, so also... Uh, the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so how does comparison work itself into that? Okay, let's put it this way. Um, This might be old man Geary talk, okay, which I am realizing I am fastly becoming old man Geary. Uh, But... But I am becoming less and less and less of a fan of social media. I just, and everybody's like, mm. but yet tonight you'll be like me. Oh, what's going on? Right? Yeah, nobody can go to the bathroom anymore without their phone. Right? Because what else? I can't read shampoo bottles all day long. I've already read it. That's a, <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, that's how old I am. Yeah. But but I think that this medium, and I've said this before, that it's it's a dangerous ground for the illusion of relationships. Uh, and and I wonder if much of our struggles that we have with people, um, if if it couldn't be satisfied if we drove to a house rather than drove to a keyboard, right? But that's a different lesson for another day. Um, and boy, you want to talk about a city divided? Apparently, you know, we had a big boat this week, and you want to man. That thing got hot and heavy quick. And so so I wonder, though, I wonder what it would look like if the people of God chose to live above a stand. This is a different lesson for another day. But if we chose to operate in, I don't know, health, and we understand that there are certain things that social media can be good for, you know, um, mainly just acts of stupidity, but that when it comes to the real issues we have with one another, that trying to satisfy them through the keyboard, it's not healthy. And it's not productive. Because you're not ever as right as you think you are. And they're never as wrong as you claim that they are. Um, but again, different lesson another day. But, uh, but I think the front, one of the other issues that we have is that the front lines of comparison, uh, of the fight of comparison today is fought on social media. Uh, and so, so here's, let me just paint a picture for you. 
Um, and I think this is the way it actually happens. You're in a trial. Life is hard. Uh, so much to the point that you're moping around the house. You're blowing through entire seasons of stuff on Netflix. Uh, you're eating full gallons of ice cream, right? Uh, you've been in your pajama pants all day long, uh, and part of you feels guilty, and the other part's like, this is the way life should be, right? You crawl into bed and you grab your phone, and you pull up your Instagram, and you start scrolling. And all of a sudden, what you see is this. Everybody's marriage is perfect. Everybody's kids, they're better looking than yours. Everybody's doing things that are more fun than you. And then this thought begins to creep in your mind. That's, that's not fair. That's not fair. I want to do that. These say, well, they've never had to deal with what I'm dealing with now. Another way, you don't know. You don't know if they have or not, but in that moment, definitely, they have never. And so your complaint begins to be about them, and it's not long before that complaint about them becomes a complaint about God. Because if God really loved you, then He would give you that life that you're looking at. Just forgetting the fact that that life is a picture, right? It's a painting. That their kids are just as ugly as your kids. They are. So your frustration turns to God, and it's really, why am I enduring this trial? What what about them? Uh, Surely you would agree that I am better than them, because you can always find somebody you're better than, right? If you're looking for the bottom of the barrel, just watch the news. You're like, oh, better than that person. And so in your trial, something insidious, something sinful starts to grow in your your heart and it becomes exposed and comparison is how it plays itself out. And I'm not not dogging you, I'm dogging us. Okay? And so so everyone endures trials, and that's why we're we're always encouraging you to grow towards a missional community here. That you're able uh to, to foster relationships uh where comparison isn't the game that we play, but that intimacy or that community is. Uh, that, that you would have relationships here that in those moments when we're being vulnerable with one another, we can say things like, it's a mess right now. I'm struggling. Life is hard. I'm dealing with this. I'm asking God to, to, to I, I'm telling God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Will you for a moment gather around me just to protect me? Will you gather around me in prayer because life is hard? I just need someone to protect the dart that's coming at me. And those are the kind of communities that the Bible says, hey, we should be striving towards. Because what has James told us? Hey, life is hard. Trials will come. And you consider it pure joy. And I believe firmly because he's going to spend some time here today, uh, I'm sorry, in this book, telling us, hey, the kind of community you surround yourself with matters a great deal. And so we have to be mindful of those moments because everyone struggles. And we all have these seasons in which the sky is clear. And then we have these seasons when the sky is cloudy. And and God promises that those moments are not wasted. 
He says, I'm, I'm leading you into maturity. I'm showing you how you need me. And this is where verses 13 through 18 get helpful. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's only getting to 13. We're going quick. In fact, Swan, we can start wrapping this up. It says this, let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That the wages of sin is death. That's the constant message of the Bible. And here's the argument as it flows down. That we need to see our trials as a path to maturity. And we need to understand the trials will, will make us consciously aware that we need God, uh, that, that He is the only thing we actually really need. And on top of that, we, we need to be careful because we're going to have to duke it out with doubt and it's going to be a fight. And then as we are dealing with doubt, um, if we're not careful, comparison, we'll tag team, jump in. And, he's, and then James says, if you're not careful, you're going to be tempted. And he says, you're going to be drawn. You're going to be in, incited by your own flesh to betray God's invitation to maturity. And you're going to be enticed to draw away from getting what you actually need, which is wisdom. And he says, that way is actually going to lead you to death. And God says, I, I have you. I have you here, which is why James draws our gaze to verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So one promise you get in life is that God is consistent. He is consistent about His care for you, he is consistent about His love for you. He is consistent about His presence in your life. And I get that's hard for some of us to get because we've never experienced that. So I say it and you're like, that sounds like a random thought or an abstract thought, and it's not. So every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. By Jesus, He brought us forth that we should be a kind of, of first fruits of his create of his creatures. So you're you're in the midst of a trial. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Your flesh is going to incite you. You're going to want to believe that God isn't good. You're going to you're going to wrestle with comparison. You're going to wrestle with with doubt. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. And then, then God moves us into this beautiful reminder that everything good, everything that is perfect, doesn't come from you. It comes from God. God gives that 
to you. And so that boils us down as we wrap up to some very powerful questions. Do I believe this? Do I believe James 1, 1 through 18? Do I believe this? Do I believe that God has his best, my best interest at heart? Do I believe he is working all things for my benefit and his glory? Do I believe that or not? And if you're, if you're unsure how to answer that, which I granted that, you might be very unsure. I would encourage you to open up the Bible, spend some time in it. Because every page reads of the story of God's love for you. That you open up every morning and you say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And you start to look for His movement in those pages. And the more we see His movement in the Bible, the more I believe we start to see His movement in our lives. His involvement in growing you towards holiness and completeness and His presence in those hard moments when, when pain and discomfort that you're pressed, uh, being pressed in actually draw you closer to God. And now, here's, here's what I know. That sounds like a lot of wishful thinking. <laughs> At least it gives some sort of reason for what we're, why we go through difficult seasons. And sometimes the worst advice I've ever received in the midst of a hard time uh, is people saying, well, God's doing this for a purpose. And though it's true, doesn't always land well. So maybe our prayer this week that we would just say, Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me understand that. Help me understand your movement. Because sometimes they'll tell you. Sometimes they'll tell you in the midst of it. Sometimes they'll tell you in hindsight. <laughs> I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Maybe you are going through a trial. We want to gather around you. Um, Keith and Kim, they'll be in that back corner. We would love to spend some time with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus in your heart. And here's what you need to know. That, that, that considerate pure joy, because God is doing something in your life, it doesn't apply if you don't know Jesus. Because it doesn't help. That we believe the way to a restored relationship with God is through Christ. And maybe today you want to take that step. We want to take it with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your love. We thank you that you take us through um, just these, these bits of explanation for confusing moments of our lives. We pray that as we get to engage trials that you would, you would grow up in us. An ability to see things through joy. That we would be more excited for the fact that you are growing us 
than we would be devastated about the circumstance. So Father, we pray. We believe that You love us. So help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.